Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and right around the world. It's a big welcome again to AFL legend Warren Treadray. Dion, how are you, mate? This one's an exciting one. We're crossing codes. Crossing codes, and we're crossing uh, hemispheres as well. Um, Treaders, the NRL has been in the news lately with talk of expanding to 20 teams, but we can all remember the day when the league was sliced in two as Rupert Murdoch and Kerry Packer butted heads over a broadcasting deal that shook the Australian game to its very core. The result was two competitions that ran concurrently in 1997 as Super League took on the Australian Rugby League. Super League created two new teams, the Adelaide Rams and the Western Reds, who joined the Auckland Warriors, Brisbane Broncos, Canberra Raiders, Canterbury Bulldogs, Cronulla Sharks, Hunter Mariners, North Queensland Cowboys and Penrith Panthers in a 10-team league. While 12 teams remained in the traditional competition, creating an incredible rugby league landscape occupied by two tribes. And that is the name of the book which lifts the lid on the real story behind it all. We're very lucky to have the author with us today, Steve Mascord, who joins us all the way from London, where he now lives. Steve, big welcome to you. Hey, guys. How are you? Yeah, it's, um, since we arranged this interview, uh, things have changed a fair bit, haven't they? Because... Um, We've, as you say, Dion, we've had the Dolphins uh, make their bow last week at uh, in in uh, in Brisbane, and I was there. I was lucky enough to be there. Now I'm back on the other side of the world, and so all these issues that are, are raised both in Adelaide and in the book, they've sort of got a, a bit more currency now. Now, Steve, you talk about that. Was this just about this broad? Yeah, um, they, they. I mean, I can't believe they're they're uh, two and two and zip after two rounds. Uh, they were tipped to finish last, uh, and and there's been a lot of excitement since suddenly the expansion thing and the you know rugby league is a bit of an inward looking sport to be honest uh, culturally uh, and uh, suddenly uh, for the first time in ages the game in Australia seems to be looking outwards and looking towards expansion again. All right well Steve tell us how long did it take you uh, how long was this book in the making like when was the genesis of the idea and then how long did it take to write? It's about uh, it was December 2016 that the idea was suggested to me, and I was like, "Ah, it sounds like a lot of work." Uh, but uh, then I, I kind of living over here in England, I, I realised that a, I, I lived through it, and I, can't, I was working for Sydney Morning Herald that year, the year in question, nineteen ninety seven, um, and uh, and b, uh, it gave me an opportunity to speak to people that I hadn't spoken to for for quite a while. Uh, so it was, most of the conversations, there was more than a hundred interviews, a hundred names on the back, but I think I forgot to write some on the back of the book. Uh, so more than a hundred interviews. And, uh, and most of the conversations started with, Oh, what are you up to? You got any kids? Are you married? Uh, where are you living? You know, so it was a really good excuse to sort of, uh, talk to you know, players, officials, fellow journalists. I mean, I interviewed physios, interviewed the Knights ball boy, who I, I must admit, I didn't know back in the day. Uh, so, um, it was yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic experience. But the, the aim was to get it out for October four, twenty twenty one, because that was the date that Super League was given the go aheads in the court uh, twenty five years previously. 
Well, it was an unbelievable time. I remember living in Adelaide at that time. The Adelaide Rams selling out the Adelaide Oval that first season. It was just absolutely chaotic. Not the Adelaide Oval we see nowadays, obviously, fully renovated, but it was a big time. Was this just about broadcasting rights, or was is that really just a too simplistic look at this whole war, uh, in, as we call it, in the Super League? Yeah, um, I mean, at its, uh, it was about TV rights, but... You know, there was all, there were there were as I, I say about rugby league, the garden of this, the garden um, of rugby league is always full of the seeds of discontent, and it just so happened that Rupert Murdoch came along with a big watering can. So if someone came along now, um, you know, like a, a you know Amazon Prime or or someone like that, uh, I suspect that there's enough disenfranchised uh, and angry people in rugby league that they would uh, that, that there would be another rebellion. There's, the rugby league was born out of rebellion from rugby union, and it tends to be in the DNA from, you know, every single day. You were a big player in the Australian working media in 1996 with the Sydney Morning Herald, Steve. You're still a big player. Still Tell us about when you first heard the story now. that a split was imminent and what was your reaction? I first heard about it a couple of um, um, years before it happened. Um, in fact, I was over here in Britain <laughs> on the 1994 Kangaroo Tour and uh, Ken Alferson had to go home because there were uh, threats of, of, a, of a breakaway. And, um, and, and, and it sort of bubbled away after that with, with uh, uh, Kerry Packer famously threatening to personally sue any club officials who, who, who took part in, in a breakaway. And, of course, uh, a month into the year in question, yes, in a month, in, in fact, on my birthday, in the middle of January, Kerry Packer, after all that, actually signed the TV rights for Super League. So uh, it was all about uh, money for him. And, and when it reached a critical mass, he was happy to jump on board uh, with the opposition, but it, you know, it, it obviously um, it's it's a, you know it's a much deeper thing than you know a, a rugby league story. It's obviously a media story. It's a personal story. A lot of uh, friendships uh, fractured, uh, and it tells it told me that working that year uh, a lot about people because you know how money corrupts people and people who you might have considered to be your friends would suddenly you know obfuscate and, and stuff and 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 just lie to you because there was there was money at stake. So uh, you know, and 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 I guess now. We're seeing a little bit of that uh, in, in particularly in rugby league, with the collective bargaining, um, you know, and the fact that the, the, the CBA uh, hasn't been signed two rounds into the season. Uh, so there's a bit of a standoff again, and and and, uh, and and now we've got expansion again. So they are the two big uh, components of, of the war. Uh, you know, the, the the number of teams, the, the geographical spread of teams, and industrial relations with the players, and these things are coming to a sort of flashpoint again. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and we see it in all sports. You know, we see it in AFL free agency and all that too. It certainly changed the game. But take us through the, the big players in this divide. By memory, Freddie uh, Fitlow went off in one camp and someone else went off in another camp. Was it any motivation apart from money? Was there any loyalty shown, do you think? Or was it just single, simple, cold, hard cash? Yeah, um, the players the players wanted to stick with each other. So, you know, if, uh, if the cl- in, in the case of most clubs, the club led the way. The club like Canterbury or Cronulla or Penrith, they went to Super League and most of the players followed and then they might have been poached back. The exception to that is Newcastle where the club wanted to go to Super League, uh, but, uh, but Paul Harrigan, who was the captain, uh, at the, he actually got all the players on a bus, rented a bus with his own credit card, drove them to Sydney to listen to what the ARL had to say. And and, and as it turns out, the following, uh, or in 1997, I guess that was a bit more than a year in advance, but Newcastle won the ARL comp 
1997 and kind of saved the traditional game somewhat because the only fans who still cared were in Newcastle. They were a new team. They hadn't won any silverware. And so it was the, it was a really big sort of cut through um, uh, event, the really thing, the thing that, that resonated on the field that year. And it meant that um, uh, basically the ARL had no money when they went to the bargaining table, but they had, they knew they had the people because the people had uh, the people had the, the remaining fans who cared. Uh, they got behind Newcastle, and that was a story that that resonated with everybody. It's always interested me in uh, in rugby league, Steve, how clubs have um, have come and gone um, a lot over the years, and uh, you know, as we know, the AFL has been reasonably static with its with its clubs. There's been additions, expansions, but not too many clubs, with the exception of Fitzroy, have, have gone by the wayside. But but clubs have disappeared, gone in and out of the comp in, in, in the NRL. Now, can you tell us how much uh, of this divide was motivated by by clubs um, trying to preserve their existence and, and perhaps which ones pulled the wrong rein? Yeah, um, well, I think that's why the, this is the 25th year of the NRL. You won't see any ads. You won't see any promo of the 25th year because uh, you know the, the the birth of the NRL was was basically a singed earth period with clubs being forced to merge and and clubs like in South Sydney most famously being kicked out of the competition and I just don't think I think there's a cultural difference in uh, in between rugby league and the AFL I think rugby league I mean the the great story and Dion you'll be able to I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here but the the great story that I tell people to sum up the cultural differences was uh, now what was that year it was in World War One when the same team finished last in the VFL and won the flag, right? Uh, yeah. So, so the in in Melbourne, the the um, the Irish Catholic um, teams yeah. uh, uh, kept playing, and the teams from the Anglo suburbs stopped. In in Sydney, that was rugby league and rugby union. Rugby league was the the Irish Catholic uh, uh, game, and rugby union was the Anglo game. And so, um, <coughs> rugby league, rugby league still all these years later represents a large part of um, Sydney but not all of Sydney society the way that um, AFL embraces all of uh, all of Melbourne and so um, I think that that uh, so the rugby league uh, tends to live hand to mouth uh, culturally and it's every man for himself whereas the AFL uh, because they have an extra demographic in there um, uh, and maybe um, some more money as a result or a different worldview that they're able to plan generationally and rugby league has never been able to plan generationally. So during the period that I uh, talk about uh, in the book, it, it, it was like, it was like there was just this uh, mountain range that had been there for, for three generations. And this was like an earthquake and these mountains popped up overnight and these valleys uh, suddenly um, uh, also were created uh, overnight. And the team, and the team, if you're standing in the wrong place, you ended up in a valley. Um, and so the teams that, the, the, the teams that, um, um, sided with Super League in Sydney, uh, they survived. Stand, they're still standalone today. Uh, you know, Cronulla, um, Canterbury, and Penrith. They, uh, whereas the, the ARL teams in Sydney, you know, Norths, Manly, uh, St George, Illawarra. Uh, although I'm from Wollongong, I always say it's not in Sydney. But um, you know, and obviously Souths, um, um, Souths. They they were for the high jump because uh, they they basically backed, the, you know, they backed the wrong horse in the end. Uh, so that's. That's kind of, I mean, I hope that kind of answers your question in a roundabout way. I mean, one of it is sort of commercial and it's the events that we talk about in the book, but I think the other reasons are cultural. How are the two competitions patronised in terms of attendances, matches and TV ratings? Because you 
the fiddler be going head to head the whole time? No one told the truth, so we don't. You know, no one told the truth about. No one told the truth about crowds. Uh, the I mean, the, the, you got to remember also. This is a time when uh, the, the, our sports codes they weren't every game live. I mean, you're watching replays. They're inserting ads. They're cutting things down to uh, an hour in some cases. Uh, the, the, the the night games were on after water rats, you know, and 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 during and and during Super League, um, they actually. Uh, tried to stop the radio stations from giving score updates from inside the ground. And I've got some people who work for radio stations saying they were chased around the hill by people uh, with, with early mobile phones on their backs trying to give score updates because uh, the games are on replay and they didn't want the scores to get out outside the stadium. They were just different different times. And, you know, um, and that's the thing, like, you know, the big question everyone wants to talk about is uh, was it good, was it bad for, rug- for rugby league? I mean... A lot of the things that were happening before the Super League War were protectionist in nature. Uh, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of things that were being done that where the fans were suffering, and TV coverage was the, the major one there. So it certainly loosened up the that that kind of um, um, ta- tariff mentality uh, to kind of uh, ring fence the game and try to warehouse is the word. The guy, the sport was being warehoused, and it, it all and, and the biggest warehousing of all was. Kerry Packer had the pay TV rights and had no plans to ever use them. Uh, and uh, Murdoch came in and wanted to put the game on pay TV and Packer threatened to sue everyone and take their houses off them. So, uh, but, you know, you talk, I mean, you guys uh, do a podcast about sports business. I mean, rights holders often pay for the right not to show something. And this was a very, very, a very, very early uh, version of that. And it certainly was a huge part of, um, of the Super League war and why it happened. Yep. So, so back back in the day, uh, the establishment, uh, the Australian Rugby League, was obviously painting itself as the good guys, and painting Super League as the bad guys. How close to the truth or far from the truth do you think that was? Yeah, I I, I think it's a fair distance uh, from the truth. Um, I think there were people on, you know, to quote Donald Trump, fine people on both sides. But uh, I, you know, and, and you got to remember that. Uh, um, you know, David Gallup was a young legal affairs officer uh, at at, um, at at Super League and ended up uh, the CEO of the NRL. Graham Annesley was a referee. Um, he ended up uh, chief operating officer at the NRL. Uh, and, and so I think there were a lot of people who would... What happened was there were a lot of people who were disenfranchised with the game. They thought the judiciary is unfair. They thought, cert, they thought certain clubs re- received favourable treatment. So when an opportunity came along to do things their way... Um, they jumped at it, and they were, they got, and they were also paid handsomely uh, for it. But what what I've kind of come to understand only in recent months is that when when a new media, when especially media in that industry, when a new media comes in, um, um, uh, the reason that things at the centre of our culture get bigger is because the new media wants eyeballs. They don't want um, uh, peripheral things. They don't want uh, um, niche interests. They want mainstream. So if, if as soon as a new media comes into a sport, uh, if, uh, then that sport will get bigger because the new entity, uh, technology basically, the new entity is looking for their fans, looking for their eyeballs. And I guess what Super League did, and in retrospect it was a mistake, is they recruited too many dreamers like me. I mean, they recruited too many people who wanted a team in Adelaide and want a team in Perth and want, want a try, uh, state of origin with New Zealand in it and want a world club challenge with 20 teams, you know, and the, those and those people were ripe for the picking because they weren't getting what they wanted at the ARL, but it actually made Super League too niche and too 
um, aspirational, uh, where rugby league is a tribal game, um, people don't really want to go see Paris Saint-Germain play Hunter Mariners, you know. So um, I think that was one of the biggest mistakes. So at the end of the year of two competitions, there was clearly only one that, that had the sympathy of the hardcore um, fans, and that was the one that painted itself as being traditional. Uh, whether it was traditional or not, it doesn't matter, but that was the right way to appeal uh, to a rugby league fan. And, 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 and what's happened since, or what happened afterwards in 1998, is that the NRL was the ARL above the water and, the, and, and Super League below it. So it was Super League selling itself as the ARL. Uh, corporately, News had an office in the NRL just to keep an eye on things because they were half owners of it. They, they owned the game after 1990, uh, after 1997, but it was sold to the public. This is the game you know, and forget that grand final. And to this day on Fox League, you will not see the NRL, the uh, Super League grand final. And back at the Telegraph, um, before when the game kicked off, uh, the season, season kicked off two weeks ago, they ignored the 1997 um, grand final, which they ran, News Limited ran. They ignored the Super League grand final as if it never happened, because there it's media. They're a media organisation. They're interested in eyeballs. They're not interested in their place in history. They're not interested in legacy. They're not interested in aspirational um, uh, projects for the sport. They just they just got other people in who were interested in those things. You know what I mean? <laughs> Is it fair to say that maybe as part of this settlement that? that stuff was actually forgotten about as part of it? Well, I just don't think it's in anyone's interest but mine because I've got a book out. Uh, it's not in any, anyone's interest but mine to remind you there were two grand finals in 1997 or to remind you that there was, um, you know, <laughs> that, that, the, uh, that the, the only test matches that yeah. were recognised internationally were the Super League test matches and the Australian uh, Rugby League had to find their own opposition uh, that year. Yet... Those players who played for the ARL that year get caps, and the ones who played for the Super League Australia don't get any. Oh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Uh, you talk about the ARL. Did they, they sort of knew that Super League were dead set serious, clearly, but they also knew that the Super League needed enough teams. Is that how eventually the, you come to a resolution where the competitions come together? I think you get come to a resolution uh, when you're bleeding money, and both sides are bleeding money. So the ARL has got no money, and and Super League's got no fans. I mean, they've got been, even the Brisbane Broncos, which is the heartland of, of Super League, and that's where the whole movement originated. Uh, their, their attendances were, were down. So, um, um, yeah, I, but I think I think what happened, though, is that we had a situation where um, the, um, the, 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 the John Quayle, Ken Arpson were very capable administrators, but they were um, tr- traditional football men, traditional uh, rugby league men, and if they had a contract, they just went, well... Um, I'm going to do everything I can to honour that contract, which they had with Kerry Packer and with Optus Vision at the time. Whereas a pragmatist today, as you know, uh, the um, the length of a contract is actually just how how much it costs to, to get out of it. It's not actually how long you're going to honour it, you know. And they were they were kind of old school uh, rugby league men, and they they and then the, the, the very people they were fighting for turned on them uh, very early in, in 1997. So it it's also um, I guess uh, a story of that that um, the, the the tectonic plates of traditional uh, community run sport and big business, and this is where they really those tectonic plates really grinded against each other during this period. You mentioned the bleeding of money. Any idea how much it was costing it? Well, I think I, I think news spent uh, I think news spent something like six hundred million dollars. 
um, and uh, um, and 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 the ARL a lot less. But um, wow. uh, yeah, it was uh, it was it was it was a, it was, a, it was a lot of money. But again, Malcolm Node, who used to be the general manager at New at News, he told me uh, in the book uh, that Foxtel would not be around today if not for Super League. And that for news to get that market share, uh, it was actually a good investment to get because they now obviously don't. I mean, Foxtel is it now. So um, you know, an Optus Vision would spend all that money on players to ARL to protect its own rights. Um, Optus Vision's not around anymore. So News Limited, obviously, from that point of view, Foxtel were you know were among the winners of this whole uh, war. Um, who else would you look back on it now and say you know? Who were the big winners and the big losers out of this out of this whole thing, Steve? Well, the great thing about about it is that I did um, I did three big questions at the end of the book. Uh, what was it about? Uh, who won and what do we learn? And if you interview a hundred people, you will get eighty different answers to those questions. People who lived through it, who've had twenty five years to mull over it uh, and discuss it with their friends and family, uh, still will all have different views of, of, of what it meant. Um, I think I think. Um, you know, the, uh, I think Kerry Packer was a huge winner because his actual exposure was put, was not much because um, uh, uh, Jeff Cousins and Optus spent most of the money on the players, and yeah, and then he did a deal with News, so he, so he had backed each side, and then afterwards he, he made a fortune out of uh, uh, the, the the wider settlement on pay television where he got a, a piece of uh, Foxtel and all this sort of stuff. So he he played his hand uh, very very well. Um, you know, uh, the, I think players were both winners and losers. Players got a lot of money, but then clubs folded and they had then they had fewer jobs um, because of that. So the players made players were winners in the short term, and, and a lot of them lost in the long term. I think uh, international uh, rugby league suffered. I think English rugby league um, suffered, even though they got eighty seven million pounds uh, for for um, from uh, news and to be part of the movement. Uh, it was it wasn't spent very well, and then the, in the World Club Challenge, we found out how bad most of the teams over here were, and now they have no currency in England in Australia at all. Even though they, even though St Helens just won the World Club Challenge, uh, you know. Um, so uh, what else? Um, you know, obviously North Sydney lost. Uh, you know, they're not around anymore. South Sydney lost. They got kicked out of the comp and came back. Um, the, obviously, the Rams. Uh, the Rams don't exist anymore. You can't be a bigger loser than to be dead. Um, uh, Perth, uh, Perth Reds, um, Perth Reds uh, uh, were totally relying on news, and so when news pulled the financial rug from under them, they they were just uh, gone. The Crushers, uh, we've only just gone back to a second team in Brisbane uh, a week ago, so the, the, you know that was obviously um, they were big losers. Um, so yeah, and and the question remains, the biggest question is, from my point of view, is if the war hadn't happened, what sort of sport would we have had? You know, and and the sport we had before. I mean, this thing started or started again when we were on. Um, is, is it uh, uh, George's Park, King George's Park in, in Perth, overlooking the city on the first day of the of the Reds' um, uh, life? And John Quayle and Ken Arbison had a media opportunity on the hill, and it was like we'd just been in Auckland two nights before, and it was like the sun never sets in our empire. You know, we stood up on the hill. And it was like supposed to be a most triumphant moment in rugby league's history in Australia, and instead they were asked. Oh, uh, there's a report back in Sydney that the Super League wars back on, and Pack and uh, Murdoch's coming to get you. Um, and that was so that that kind of uh, that was it. That that was the high point. 
The question is, if that hadn't happened, if that question had never been asked, if, the, if that had never happened, um, would we still have the Reds and, and all these teams? We would never have had the Rams. Uh, so, um, and, and then you come down to, do you think the administration were doing a good job? Do you think they were future-proofed? Do you think they had a good plan? Or, or do you think they're flawed? And 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 that's. I mean, everyone's got a, a different opinion, you know, on that. I, I think at some point there would have been a shock to the system. I think the rights were too valuable to be not to be just left alone as they were. I think there would have been a raid from someone somewhere down the track, and there would have been uh, some sort of schism anyway. Are there any lessons learned in this process? And if so, what are they? And do you think we could ever see history repeat? A hundred percent, because. The people who work at League Central now weren't around at this time. In fact, some a lot of people said to me um, when I was back in Australia the last three months, "Do you know anyone who works at the NRL now?" Um, you know, they, they they don't remember this. This they don't have the corporate memory that that is uh, of the period we're discussing now. So things like um, you know we're going to go to uh, twenty teams. They're saying, "Well, you know, we've already done that. We've got a second team in Brisbane. We've already done that. We're going to have a team in Perth. We've already done that." Um, and 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 I, I really worry that. Um, no one um, can remember. I mean, even I believe Wayne Bennett at that press conference of uh, the Dolphins' first game, it, you know, expressed some sort of uh, exasperation that there was no one covering the press conference who was alive when he coached the Brisbane Broncos' first game in 1988. Um, so, so you know what I mean. So how do we? So I, I think there's a lot of uh, issues where we could make the same mistakes, but we do have a, a different situation now. Where the the, pay t- the television rights money covers the entire wages bill of uh, of each club, and the the partnership pays for all the travel costs. Whereas you know the Perth Reds were paying paying visiting teams in first and reserve grade, uh, you, you know. So there was, and along with their own travel costs. So there's no there's I mean you don't have to be a genius to figure out why they needed Rupert, and when when Rupert decided he didn't like them anymore, they were gone. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that lesson you know, has been learnt. The other thing, and guys, I'll be guided by you a little bit on this, what you think, but there's this argument of standard and the fact that, you know, we don't have enough good players for 20 teams. And, you know, I don't really think, you know, you should be, you should be listening to coaches who tell you that. I think it's like, it's like uh, someone running CNN Taking advice from a, um, a television repairman, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't, I think, I think it's a big business, and and I don't think your average fan really, um, let's say, the standard by adding four teams is is uh, eroded by twenty percent. Uh, now, there's no agreed uh, barometer of what the standard is. Is it entertaining? Is it is it is it a completions? Uh, you know, like is it is it just boring stuff? No missed tackles. I mean, if there's no missed tackles and everyone competes at 100%, it's a nil all draw. You know what I mean? So I I, I just I, I I mean, so so you know I, I I don't go for the the thing that the standard's going to drop off. However, yeah. the standard was poor in 1997. It was pretty terrible. There were some terrible, terrible, terrible games. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the the. Steve, the classic comparison from AFL land is when Dion, when the Giants came in. But the thing is, they got all the best young talent. They also recycled some old guys that have fallen out of the system, extended careers. But if you go, was the standard better? Well, it wasn't because the good the teams at the top end of the draft were taken away from that young talent. 
and they're all absorbed in the new franchises, but the franchises were full of talented kids with no depth. So, you know, the Giants would get done. I remember watching a day on Easter Monday down in Tassie, North Melbourne, belted them by 100 points. Yeah, I think it does. I think it, the standard does slip temporarily, but inside of growth, that's the risk you have to take. And on the flip side of that, you know, you get, um, you know, uh, coaching, um, the quality of coaching lifts. There's more money that goes into producing players. So, um, yeah, you expand your competition and you, you, you blow out teams to 22, 23 a game and stuff. You are using more players, no doubt, but I think that uh, that's compensated for largely by the uh, the increase in money that gets thrown at, at the game and, and purely to produce players. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, unfortunately, it's probably bad news for the game over here because, you know, players will be picked off parks over here, in, you know, increasingly. Uh, but also, you know, uh, there'll be more players, more opportunities for players from the islands. Um, you know, New Zealand provides such an enormous number of uh, players in, in the NRL. There'll be more opportunity for, for those uh, players. And in the end, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, this is a bit sports business podcast. I mean, I, I see, I see this, you know, the competition as a business. And I, you know, I, I, I like to say, internally socialist, externally uh, capitalist. You know, you, you, you're, you, you share things around and within, uh, so that you can compete. Uh, without with other sports, uh, and and I think the AFL have got got it right, you know, with you know drafts and salary caps, living away from home allowances, centrally contracted players at various times. Uh, that the rugby league just culturally finds it hard to do because it's kind of a it's a it's a combative, every man for himself, working class sport, and giving anyone a leg up, loaning someone a player, giving someone more money than someone else. You know, forcing someone to play at a club where they don't want to go—it just kind of goes against the ethos of rugby league. And you know, it's it's hard to see it's hard to see it happening in, in my lifetime. Yeah, Stephen, we also spoke about this earlier in the um, in the year about different sports and whether rugby would do it. Well, my understanding and not knowing NRL too well in terms of grassroots, but everything I read suggests the reigning premiers, Penrith have got a great junior development program. So they don't want to draft, you know what I mean? So it's a very similar situation. Well, totally different situation to CAFL, but they're all about nurture their own area, the old school, like we used to see in the VFL and the Sample and the Waffle, Western Australia. So it, it is a different beast. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, the draft was defeated in court and, uh, you know, I can't see it coming back. There's a lot, a lot of people, as there is everywhere in every professional sport, people question, the, you know, the effectiveness of, of the salary cap and how well in, enforced it is but the NRL have had a lot of uh, I, I mean I should know the figure off the top of my head but I don't but they've had a, a lot of teams uh, a, a good share of titles since the establishment of the comp in, in, of the brand in, in 1998 so you know if, if talent equalisation is the objective of, of, of a draft then, then you would say objectively that they don't need it because they do share titles around pretty well and, and teams don't stay in the cellar for, for long you know, I know West Tigers fans at the moment feel like they've been in there forever, but but generally speaking, um, general generally speaking, you know, that it, it is a very effective competition. Where you talk about over here in Super League, only four teams have ever won Super League, so that's all, that's since nineteen ninety six, and one of them isn't in Super League anymore. So only three of the current teams in Super League have ever won the title. So that's where give us a draft. You know what I mean? Give us a properly enforced salary cap. But, you know, that goes against the whole English. That's another thing. It's a whole different conversation we could have. We do a whole show on living in England and how 
that they, the whole country's deluded into believing they represent the purest form of sport, where it's actually the most commercial, most cynical uh, market for athletes on earth. Uh, yet, yet they still, the fans still believe they own the clubs, and they still believe that the players represent them. Most of the players would never have been to that town if it wasn't for the fact they played for the football team. But anyway, that's another podcast. Steve, uh, did uh, you step on any toes when this book came out? You know, did anyone uh, get get back to you and, um, and go, "Hang on, I never said that. Uh, that was that was BS." Dion, I'm, I'm really, really relying on the fact that not too many people read it. That's what I'm really hoping. <laughs> oh, no. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, no, no, um, no, I was actually surprised because what I tried to do in the chapters, there's some chapters that are, um, um, there's some chapters that are, uh, dedicated to people like, uh, Wayne Bennett, uh, John Quayle, John Rebo, Ken Arthurson, uh, Morris Lindsay. Um, and, um, and I worried about, and in those chapters, I tried to uh, be like a, a you know a broadsheet journalist and actually write my impressions of them, not just what they said and what they you know you know. And I tried to sum up what is John Rebo like as a person, what is uh, John Quayle like as a person. Um, so um, the only the only yeah um, the only person who actually is uh, blown up about any quotes in it was actually um, uh, Nigel Wood was my. Uh, financier, <laughs> he uh, he uh, he's actually he commissioned the book and gave me an advance, and he was a CEO at Halifax at the time, and he's held a lot of uh, major positions, and he was like, um, and he was like, no editorial interference, I'm not going to interfere at all, but when but when Morris Lindsay sort of slagged him off, he was like, where's my response? I got, I, where did you put my response? What chapter did you put that in? You know what I mean? So that was about the only. Uh, that that was the only uh, that was the only time anyone's blown up. But I can't imagine I can't I can't imagine. I mean, um, you were and you probably would uh, the only one of the three of us who, who've experienced this is someone actually spend some time with you and then write their impressions of you. Uh, I, I, that that's can't be a that that's got to be an unsettling experience because uh, yeah, you can't control that and uh, you, you you know you 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 have no way of knowing how you're going to be perceived by others. So I, I can't imagine like John Rebo, you know. I imagine he's reading it and he's going, you know, oh, 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 you know what I mean? Like, I mean, anyway, but no one's actually, no one's actually said, um, no one, no one's actually said anything to me uh, that, you know, that was unfair or, or whatever, whatever. Like that. But Bob, Bob Millwood down in Wollongong, he was the Steelers guy. He said, I, oh, I heard you slag me off in the book. You said if I hadn't been so loyal, the Steelers would have still been around. And I was sitting there with the book and I'm like, I don't remember writing that, Bob. And I was actually, and now it's got an index. The third edition has got an index. So he's standing there, and I'm going through M. Millwood, Millwood, and I've gone to the pages that he's mentioned. I, go, I can't find this anywhere, Bob, where I've said that. But uh, anyway, uh, but no, no, it's been okay so far. It's been, and and actually, guys, it, it, before I came back, it got it got um, optioned for screen, screen options. So so um, oh, that's pretty exciting stuff. So. Yeah. That's very exciting stuff. Good work with that. Um, when you're doing all this research, what's the one thing that really shocked you or surprised you that you didn't know about it? Well, there were little stories. There were little stories like like Mike Westlake, my journalistic colleague, told me that his plane coming over for the World Club Challenge with the Cowboys almost crashed and that one of the players had his pants off ready to swim. Uh, so I didn't, uh, so that, that... <laughs> Has that person got a name? It was, I think it was Andrew Juniman. Uh, but wow. um, yeah, and, and like there's lots, so there's lots of little, uh, so there's lots of this kind of, st- uh, and also like there was a story about the uh, 
um, the, the marketing manager for Super League, uh, Gary Pearce, he apparently came up with the premiership trophy with Arthur Summons and Norm Proven, you know, the Winfield Cup, which is now the Telstra Cup. Um, but he got sacked the first weekend of Super League um, ostensibly for going to the opera instead of to the football. And so I... Um, That's fair enough, though. And I, I heard this story. It's one of, the, one of those great stories, like Tom Mockridge saying, I want the toilets to smell of Super League at the games, you know. Uh, but uh, the... Um, and and he was... Uh, and, and I knew that story, you know. And I interviewed uh, Gary Pearce, I interviewed uh, John Rebo, uh, interviewed um, uh, Ian Robson. And it turns out that no one, no one involved in his sacking knew the whole story. Uh, but by speaking to everyone involved, I was able to piece it together. He actually was invited to the opera by News Limited. He was actually set up. They invited him to the opera and then sacked him for going to the opera. Uh, and um, the reason that they didn't like him was because of two tribes. He actually came up with the two tribes uh, uh, to war. You know, advertising campaign. Two yeah, tribes go to war. Yep. And, uh, and they didn't like it. And that's the reason he was sacked. But to get rid of him, they invited him to the opera and sacked him for going to the opera. One arm of News Limited uh, sort of set the trap and the other one uh, pulled the trigger. So, yeah, interesting. Steve, uh, we're going to change it up just uh, slightly here. We're running out of time, but I want to get to the NRL today. And uh, we, we spoke earlier about, uh, you know, recent talk about further expansion and the Adelaide Rams name has come up again. Uh, now, can you tell uh, our listeners why that might be a really exciting result for you? No, well, you know, it's funny. It's just, this, is, this is actually right up your alley as sports business. But, but as, a, as a rugby league fan, it kind of always frustrated me that um, I, I, I believe the old IP, and the old IPs I've always thought for 20 years, the, the IP of dead clubs uh, is really important and, and it's going to resonate with people as we all get older, um, you know, and we all get more nostalgic. And also with uh, uh, um, social media, uh, uh, you know, brands, trademarks, all these things, they, they're bankable. So I always thought they should do more. I always thought they should do more with the, the Bears. Um, Cumberland Fruit Pickers were in the competition for a couple of years in the 20s. Um, don't think anyone remembers them. But... Uh, yeah, so so I had a little merch company uh, over here. Um, it isn't a video, but here's a here's a Greece jersey, um, and uh, um, and I thought it'd be great to do Adelaide uh, stuff, Northern Eagles stuff, uh, but I didn't want to be getting in trouble with the um, NRL or getting any writs or. And I saw people doing sort of cheap knockoff stuff that wasn't licensed. So I just basically went to IP Australia because I already had one trademark there and I registered Adelaide Rams and I registered Northern Eagles uh, and went through the approval process and got approved so so you know I own the trademarks but um, and this is an interesting one for you uh, guys is that the the, the ARLC are on to me now so um, they uh, I also got um, the Gold Coast Chargers approved and on the very last day there was an opposition filed by the ARLC um, saying it was in bad faith uh, and then I also had a long. I also had the the crushes, uh, and they said I couldn't have the crushes because there's some sandals called crushes with a K. So I actually I took crushes out of the logo and put 1995-97 where in the same font, and it got approved again. And again, just uh, two days ago on the last day, the ARLC contested it. Um, so I think it's good that the game is actually recognizing. I mean, you could say the ARL the, the NRL kicked these teams out and now they're trying to um, 
protect and use their trademarks. So you could say there's some hypocrisy there, uh, but but they certainly don't have less right to it than me. I've got none. So um, so so I'm, I'm I'm happy that the game is um is finally on to this because uh, I've been on about it for uh, on about it for um um for, for 10, 15 years. But the question which you raised, Dion, is if the Rams want to come back as the Rams, uh, and uh, do I just give them the trademark back, or do I ask for uh, some money? Um, uh, now, interestingly, there was a, a I can't remember his name, but in the first in the first book about this, uh, Mike Coleman's Super League: The Inside Story, the reporter on the uh, Adelaide Advertiser actually registered Adelaide Aces as a trademark, and uh, and when news came to town with rugby league, he worked for news, but you know what I mean. Um, um, he thought he might, he might get, earn something out of it. And he just called, he got called in the office and told basically if he didn't hand it over, he'd be sacked. <laughs> and they didn't call themselves the aces anyway. But uh, so, but they haven't got that hold over me. They can't sack me because they don't pay me anyway. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I, I did it. I did it for, I, I believe altruistic reasons. I can, I haven't made, we've only got one run of, Rams jerseys ever made, and we've only had one run of Eagles, Northern Eagles jerseys ever made. One set of shorts, one set of polos, and you know whatever's, and and uh, that's it. So we haven't made a lot of money out of it. I did it because I thought someone should. Uh, so we'll just see where it goes. I, I but I I didn't do it. I'm not hurt by saying I did it in bad faith. It doesn't bother me. Maybe I did. That's up to them to say. But. Uh, I'll just, I'll just see what happens. Well, you might end up a billionaire after it because we read over the weekend that the NRL wants 20 teams, Adelaide and Perth under consideration again, new teams in Brisbane and in New Zealand. Uh, a representative I find this very interesting is in the Pacific Islands team, which could be under consideration. If you've got three teams, where do you think the game, if it is, needs to grow, where would you think their best place to go? Look, the NRL under the current administration are – very much like they were in 1994, they have um, handed their souls to their rights holders. Um, so uh, news and uh, news and nine basically call the shots at the moment uh, with with Peter Volandis and Andrew Abdo there. In fact, it's been reported that they both went to Los Angeles to meet with Lachlan Murdoch for permission to bring in the Dolphins. So what I think they should do would be very different to what they will do because they'll do basically what the rights holders tell them will ensure the money goes up. And in fact, there's a huge disparity now between the AFL and the NRL, uh, which you won't read about in either uh, or very much. I, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't be accusing my colleagues of, of um, being at the mercy of who their employers are. But I'll just say you won't read much in news or the uh, or nine about the huge disparity between the NRL and uh, the AFL at the moment. But it seems to me that the rights holders basically have um, a leverage now over the NRL where they'll say, well, we'll close that gap if you bring in teams in markets where we want to show it on TV. Um, so, um, Steve, where would that be? I, I think I think a, 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 a Queensland slash Papua New Guinea team would be – next off the mark and that yeah. actually comes down to something we couldn't have dreamed of in 1995 that comes down to chinese influence in the pacific uh so uh, the you know the idea of uh, shoring up the pacific against chinese influence means there's a lot of government money available uh for a pacific uh, uh franchise in the nrl and anthony albanese who's a massive rugby league fan 
uh, has said openly that they, they want to have a team in Papua New Guinea. So uh, to me, they'd be next off the mark, a kind of um, uh, a, a Brisbane slash New Guinea team with the players living in Brisbane because it's very hard to get a professional athlete to live in Papua New Guinea. And then, and then I'd say probably, uh, then I'd say probably Perth Bears. So bring back the it goes back to what we talked about in the last question, Dion, yeah. about IP and what it's worth. Uh, I say, uh, I say, uh, the North Sydney Bears playing out of Perth would be would be the next, and then, and then, I'm not sure. Um, I don't really, I don't think a Pacifica team playing all over the Pacific works when they can't even play Test matches in the Pacific. I mean, if you, if, you, if you can't play, if Samoa and Tonga and Fiji can't play home test matches with full-strength teams. How can, how can you say that they should have a, a bloody NRL team? So I, I, can't see, I can't see that happening. But perhaps a Pacifica team based in, in Wellington or something like that, um, you know, would have, uh, you know, with, with a, a Pacific base. But you know what happens, guys, when you have a team and, and it has a sort of, you give it some sort of community or cultural identity, when it doesn't win, they, that goes out the window and they just, yeah. they just sign players that win. So, so uh, um yeah, so that they'd kind of be be my um, three. Um, you know, before COVID, I mean, there were some crazy ideas about, and we had the Toronto Wolfpack over here. You know, playing in the Super League and being based in Toronto, playing away games on uh, on the other side of the, of the of the Atlantic, and there were lots of crazy ideas before then about you know putting Perth in a Super League or over here, or putting a, a Leeds team in the NRL and all this crazy stuff, and. Um, I think COVID has just killed the, all those things off completely. So I don't, I, I don't, I think we can, we can dispatch all those things. But you know, rugby league is, a, is a, as, as you guys understand, maybe the listeners don't. It's, it's, a, it, it's a much smaller um, version of rugby. Uh, it's, it's the, it's the, and, and that is, is often a disadvantage. But where it is an advantage is that it's, it's, it's pliable and manoeuvrable from a business perspective, uh, because uh, there's not as much bureaucracy to cut through. So, you know, you couldn't have a Toronto rugby union team playing an English rugby union because Canadian rugby union's massive and there's too much bureaucracy to cut through, whereas rugby league is small pretty much everywhere but Australia. Uh, and so if you want to do things, you can do them um, uh, pretty quickly as long as you've got the folding stuff. Steve, some fascinating insight, mate. Really appreciate your time uh, talking to us about the, the finer points of, uh, of rugby league and your book, Two Tribes. Before we let you go, please tell us where can readers track down the book uh, if they're uh, keen to uh, get, get one. Yeah, the, you'll find it all over the place, but it, it's kind of overpriced in a lot of places. It's on, it's on Kindle, so if you, if you just want to do that, you can find it wherever you find Kindle books. But if you want a hard copy, I think the most competitive or the, the best price you'll find for a new one is, is on my site, which is stevemaskell.com forward slash product forward slash two tribes. Fantastic, mate. Well, look, uh, thanks for your time. Uh, thanks to the Warren Treadrave. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it, mate. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to us at thebigdeal.au. Send us uh, some questions for Treaders. We'll throw them his way next chance we get. And we look forward to having your company here again at The Big Deal. And keep an eye out for our weekly newsletter. We'll see you soon. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.